This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Borderline, a novel. And the author is Alan Winokur, and Alan joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Alan. Hello, Steve. It's uh, great to be with you and uh, talk about uh, my new book. Well, we appreciate you being here, and this book really is uh, quite a thriller, a lot of twists and turns, and we're talking about a very, very complicated and dangerous, dangerous situation along our country's border, and your book is dedicated to the courageous men and women of the United States Border Patrol, so obviously the title Borderline. Yep. Um... I was inspired by uh, the story of uh, the Border Patrol agent who was uh, killed by uh, drug lords who uh, got guns from uh, the uh, United States government. You all know about that story. Right. Right. Well, this is not your first novel. You enjoy writing novels. Uh, This is number four. Correct. Is this uh, much different than your other ones? Well, yeah, the other three books, uh, all all thrillers, but based uh, loosely on personal experience, uh, either in my business life or personal life. And um, as, I, as I say, uh, the Brian Terry uh, murder uh, sort of prompted my interest in this subject, uh, so I don't have any personal direct relationship to the to the storyline, but uh, was intrigued by uh, what's going on down there. So we have along the border murder, kidnapping, and of course the drug cartels are involved, and we've got these brave people who are uh, trying to protect us along the border. One of the heroes is Rusty Powell. Well, tell us about Rusty. Well, Rusty is a uh, Border Patrol agent who uh, lives in Tucson with his wife, and um, he was a Marine uh, and left the Marine Corps and decided he wanted to uh, stay in law, be in law enforcement and thought that the Border Patrol and uh, Homeland Security would be a good place for him to hang his hat. So uh, he was then assigned to the uh, uh, to the border station uh, just south of Tucson, and um, that's uh, that's pretty much Rusty. He was uh, an athlete in school and uh, met his his wife uh, at, in school at the University of Missouri, and uh, he winds up at uh, the Nogales. Uh, border station as a U.S. patrol agent. Then, of course, as events happen, his partner is murdered and he's kidnapped by the drug cartel. Which is kind of unusual. Uh, you know, I 
had some discussion with the FBI, and you know they say it's unusual for the drug lords to want to uh, resort to kidnapping. Uh, it's not one of their not one of their chosen uh, diversions. But I thought it would be an interesting twist, and uh, anyone who reads the book will find that uh, once the kidnapping takes place, that's when all the the interesting stuff takes just starts to happen. Tell us about Richard, Richard Martinez, the head of FBI in Phoenix. Yes, he runs the Phoenix division there, and um, uh, he, he does have uh, agents uh, in Tucson, which is much closer to the, the border incident, but um, this was a, an important enough case for him to become very interested in and involved in, and uh, he really sort of becomes the protagonist in this book. Uh, and he actually appeared in my third novel, uh, Two Islands Terror in the Low Country, as a, an FBI agent uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. So I, I carried him into my borderline uh, story. So this takes us into the world of the cartels and, and how Rusty is treated when he's kidnapped? Yes. Um, and actually, I, you know, I, I could have made the, uh, the captors uh, a lot more brutal uh, in this case, but um, as a reader will find out, uh, they uh, had second thoughts uh, about killing uh, Rusty and had a better idea. And so as the story un unravels, um, Rusty's fate becomes... Uh, uh, sort of, uh, well, just better than being uh, having his head cut off by the cartel. Now, this isn't a docudrama, as you say, but there is enough real-world material in the story, so you've tried to make it as uh, realistic as possible through your research. Yeah, I did, and, and I, I got some wonderful help by a Border Patrol agent uh, who, um, actually a female, who was uh, really helpful, and uh, I spent a fair amount of time with her uh, on the phone going through the life of a Border Patrol agent, particularly along the Arizona border, and um, you know, I really appreciate the help that she gave me. Uh, and then uh, the FBI was also instrumental uh, in getting me some firsthand knowledge about the FBI's potential involvement in this type of case. Tell us about Angela. Is this part of the, is there romance in this? Yeah, I, uh, you know, my wife, who is an avid reader, says, well, you need a little bit of romantic touch to your stories. And, uh, of course, Rusty, after being kidnapped by the cartel uh, and buried uh, down into Mexico, and I won't say more about being buried, but um, the reader will find out what that's all about. But uh, Angela was uh, somebody who came into Rusty's life and uh, ended up complicating it quite a bit. And she is a Mexican. Right, and, and Rusty also will just kind of leave it at that. He doesn't, he doesn't remember very much. No. No, he was, 
He was unfortunately uh, involved in an accident that uh, took his memory and um, became uh, a patient, and Angela became somebody in his life who uh, later complicates it further, but she is a nurse uh, in, a, in a hospital in, in Mexico. So that's how they hooked up. Well, as we've mentioned, this is a novel, even though it's based on a lot of real-world material. At the same time, in writing something like this, to keep it realistic, but also to keep the reader's interest, you had to invent a real needed twist. Yes. And, uh, not gonna, yeah, go ahead. We're not going to give out what that twist is, but just kind of... Tell us a little bit about the, the challenge. Well, interestingly enough, this, this uh, twist uh, came to me as I was reading about uh, the area where uh, Rusty was kidnapped and taken to, and uh, I, I just some, something struck me in the history of this area uh, in northern Mexico that uh, gave me the idea to uh, throw this, uh, situation into Rusty's life. And so um, it, it's a natural thing, and uh, nobody caused it, but he had to deal with it uh, in, a, in an interesting way. So, Do you feel the reader will greatly appreciate more of this, you know, the immigration problems that we're facing right now uh, along the borders? I think, yeah, I think that uh, the more people hear and learn about uh, the different, and of course, for years now we've been hearing about the fact that our border is not very secure and the difficulties that uh, Congress and the administrations have had to try to fix the problem, uh, while, of course, this country's in very deep financial trouble. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this book will, will sort of ring some chimes with people who have been hearing about immigration and realize that it's something that we're going to have to deal with or there's just going to be more death, more drugs, and uh, it's a never-ending story until we figure out a way to, uh, and the need, to control it. And the need for increased border protection. Yes, and I, and I know that that's what Congress is looking at as part and parcel of any immigration policy change. Um, you know, as many people as we have down there, and we have quite a few, we've got, we have over 2,000 miles of border that separate us from Mexico, and um, you can just put up so much fence, and uh, even fences don't solve the problem because... These guys have figured out ways to dig tunnels underneath, you know, the border and, and get themselves and their drugs in that way. So it's a phenomenal problem. I remember one incident that, uh, at the Nogales border where they arrested 120 people one night and threw them in their holding pen. Um, and some of them were smugglers, but other ones were just coming across the border to find work illegally. So, you know, 120 people just in one night. 
Now, does your story also deal with the possible legalization of marijuana? No, not no, it doesn't. Um, and I know what's going on in some of our states now, and of course, Colorado has gone ahead and legalized it in, in uh, to a great extent. But I didn't deal with it in the book. Um, marijuana is the drug that was being smuggled in when Rusty and his partner. Uh, you know, uh, approach these guys, and it. You know, I don't think. I don't think we, as regular folks, regular Americans, realize how dangerous the border areas are. If we live there, we probably, of course, we hear the news then a lot about the local news along the border. But it is very, very dangerous. So your book really points out uh, again a realistic situation. Yes, um, you know it's. You know, a number of agents have lost their lives. I mean, the the Brian Ferry story, of course, hit the news because of the the guns that were that you know we were our government was shipping across the border. But um, it's it's a it's a very very hazardous duty for these people. And um, unfortunately, drones help them from the sky to uh, see what they can't see from the ground. But, you know, even that doesn't tell them everything they need to know about the dangers that lurk in this situation out in the, in the Sonoran Desert, which uh, is pretty dangerous territory to begin with. Any reaction from the Department of Homeland Security? I haven't heard anything uh, since I talked with their Border Patrol Person, um, I think there have been some inquiries uh, to uh, our media people, to our press people, after uh, the release went out. But I have had no direct contact with uh, Homeland Security. I have to say that their direction to me was not to get involved right on the border. Uh, so, you know, virtually all of the research that I did, uh, even with the Border Patrol, was done remotely. I, I don't think they wanted me to be in harm's way either. Right. And to make things even more complex in a great thriller like this, you know, you just have a devastating earthquake. Yes. Of course, that could happen. That could happen, and uh, wow, that would turn... And in this region of Mexico, it's happened before. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, I mean, this is a piece of fiction, so I can make anything happen, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what's great about fiction. That's what's fun about it, and I think that's why people love to to read it so much. Yeah, and I told I told the FBI and the Border Patrol. I said, look, there are going to be some things in this book that you might not agree with from a, re- a real world perspective, but understand that it's fiction. And in order for me to you know, spin it up into a, an interesting uh, thriller. You know, I needed to have some license. So, we've been listening to Alan Winokur. He's the author of his book *Borderline*, a novel. Alan, tell us how to get your book. Well, um, certainly through uh, Author House, the publisher, uh, and their website. Uh, AuthorHouse.com, also from all the major bookseller websites, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon, Books A Million, 
Uh, and uh, they are in some Barnes & Noble stores, but uh, the best thing to do is if you're near a Barnes & Noble, walk in and say, I'd like a copy of the Borderline a novel, and they'll get it for you. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for being with us on Author Talk. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Mind is the Healer, The Mind is the Killer. Discovering Harmony of Mind, Body, and Spirit. The author is Zeev Coleman. Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Thank you. Professor, tell us about this book. How did you come to write it? What motivated you to put it together? I am in the field about 40 years, and um, the first book what I was written is was The Secret of Healing, and um, it gave me the motivation to write the other book, um, to really to give the people all the secrets of my life, because when I was written the book of um, Edgar Casey. he didn't wrote never something about his life. Um, many people wrote about him how unusual person he was. So I said to myself, I must to give the generation after me to learn from my experience. And this is a book what you learn, can learn a lot about the healing, the aura, the blue diamond uh, energy, and this is the most stronger what is exist when you work with the blue diamond energy healing. Um, so this uh, I discover really this blue diamond light. Um, and and when, like when, and when maybe more? Yes, and when did you discover the blue diamond light? About. Um, Close to 30 years ago, I really, I am in the field 40 years, but in the last 40, uh, 30 years, I um, discovered more and more about the, the blue diamond light. And this is amazing to see in my workshops, we have um, self-bioenergetic healing workshop or, or healing workshops and to see what happened with the people. Special people what um, have the experience 
with this workshop, they start to see kind of auras. And in the aura, you can see so many things about your uh, healing, your condition from the body. And many times, you can see also things from your past. Hmm. And this all started in 1974, if I'm understanding your biography. 1974, I find myself a healer. And that in the was, Sinai Desert. In the Sinai Desert. And how did that come about? <laughs> okay, this was in this time I was um, in the um, Israeli army in the service. And, um, you know, in this country, everyone needs to service, serve the country for one month a year. But something unusual happened with me in the middle of the way. I, I didn't... Um, dream about it, I didn't think about it, but um, when I was in a camp in the middle of the Sinai, and um, I was on a mountain, and something happened uh, to me on this mountain. When I went down, I was down from the mountain to the diner um, uh, tents, um, people felt my body radiate of energy. And um, the best, when somebody will read the, the, the first book, The Secret of Healing, uh, he will know that. But I have a very short uh, story about that in The Mind is the Healer, in the book, The Mind is the Healer and The Mind is the Killer. Uh, this book what um, so many people starting to write to me compliments about the book and they love it very much. The story... Or the title of the book, The Mind is the Healer, The Mind is the Killer, is provocative. What does it mean by The Mind is the Killer? Um, the mind can heal you, and the mind can destroy you in the same way. Like you love somebody or you hate somebody. But if you know how to love with positive mind, you can heal your body. And I believe the disease is not... In the body, the, the disease starts first in the aura. And until the disease starts to shrink in the body, take a lot of time. But we need to be very careful not to, to take too much uh, the body in stress. And uh, what I believe in 20, maybe 50 years, uh, most of the doctors will learn to recognize the aura because in the aura you can see where the body missing energy in the place where the missing energy you know is a problem. And um, I hope this will happen very soon. Tell me about your discovery about the value of laughter. Tell me about the discovery or your view of laughter. <laughs> Look, in, in the workshop, this is really very nice. In the, lock, in the workshop... I teach also many people to laugh because because most of the people is have not the 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 the, the way of to to laugh the the laughing is closed inside and then one of the workshop a lady start to laugh not natural you, if you laugh from your heart. This is healing. If you are stressed, this is not good. Yes. 
And who do you think this book will appeal to and why? I believe this is good for everyone because it teaches you how not to be sick. From many experiences from other cases, you can see that, you can read it, you can enjoy from every chapter what you read. In every chapter you have also beautiful painting, my work, about the chapter. And um, you can go, every, everyone can go to my Facebook and to see in the Facebook uh, many, many beautiful things also. And other themes in your book in addition to the mind and body connection that might be relevant to the reader? Look, this is something, somebody told me, she took the book at 10 o'clock because she need to, to, um, to work early and she couldn't stop to read until 3 o'clock in the night. Is this is enough to understand how good is the book and how is touching the book? You have emotional stories, you have physical problems there because people were coming to my center, they coming with emotional problems or with physical problems and it's amazing to see what happened. People with cancer, people with uh, pain, and people with every, each of us have another, another problem. As readers review your book, what is the one thing you hope they get from it? Uh, knowledge. A lot of knowledge. How to do, what to do, how to do this meditation of healing, how to use the energy of the blue diamond, and many, many other things. Was there anything that was difficult about putting this book together? Oh, yes. The, the book is a big history. I started the book uh, 17 years ago, and... Um, I wrote it in Hebrew and um, I translated it to English and in September 11, one of my students, she took the, all this information to put it in the computer and um, she was in the 104th floor in, in the Twins building mm. and all the book is gone. And I remember I was invited by a church to come to help in September 11, people was uh, in shock. And um, I was watching the floor and so many papers, and I said, maybe I find one of my papers. Mm. And um, we start to, to um, collect together from, from many, many people who have my pieces, and um, start to from, from uh, the beginning. <laughs> and start all over again. Yes. But, but the, the book is amazing. 306 pages. That's uh, that's an accomplishment. Now I am in a new book. It's called, I don't want to say the name, but it's talk about past life reincarnation. And this is also very, very strong book. In your book, you talk about the term aura. What is an aura? The aura is the electromagnetic field what is around our body. Now, when you go to the hospital and they put you to the machine, in our body is electric. Many people don't know that, but when we go to the hospital, 
They put it to the electrocardiogram machine, and it's not connected to the electricity from the wall. And they put you the electroc on your body, but and the needle starts to write. So we can understand. So on the body, we have... The, the, in the body we have electricity. In the body we have electricity, and around the body we have this electromagnetic field. What is the aura? In this aura, it's possible to recognize many, many unusual things. I have a client example. She told me um, she was in the hospital about two weeks, and so to recognize what uh, problems she has. And you, in five minutes, telling me all my problems? Listen, this is a work for 40 years, an experience of 40 years, and if um, I have a lecture, I can talk and talk and talk nonstop. Well, thank you, Professor, for joining us today. The title of the book, again, is The Mind is the Healer. The Mind is is the the Killer. killer. And if somebody wants to, to go to my website is www.zevkolman.net.com Z-E-E-V-K-O-L-M-A-N.com. Thank you so much. And are there other ways we can get copies of your book? Um, it's possible to have copies from the book, from the publishing, and also in my place. In my place is a special book with my imprinting with mud from the Dead Sea and the signature. Amazing. So this book is very special. So many, many people want the book with his imprinting with mud. And this mud has my energy. It takes a long time to transfer the energy to the mud. And that's available through your website. Yes, available. Thank you so much. The title God bless again, you. The title again is The Mind is the Healer, The Mind is the Killer. The author, Ziv Coleman. Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Thank you, and to all the listeners. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. 
Today, I am visiting with Dipal Parikh to discuss a book he's written titled Walking with Krishna, based on a true life event. I welcome to the show, Dipal. Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Nice to visit with you. You're in New York City. New Jersey. Actually. New Jersey, okay. And tell me, uh, this, according to the book cover, your life turned upside down as he could not remember anything from who he was, who his parents were, where he went to college. All of that left you because of an accident in a car crash. That started everything, didn't it? Yes, sir, that was correct. Tell me, how did you come to write this book? What inspired you to, to put this together? Um, it was a couple of things, actually. Uh, it was, uh, well, first and foremost, my neurologist, Dr. Krish. Uh, he was my overseeing and primary physician and neurologist during the uh, retrograde amnesia time. He resides in Jersey City. And uh, basically, he had never encountered a case like this before. And uh, a couple of his colleagues uh, have never encountered it at all. So after, you know, after I regained uh, memory and, and, you know, came back, if you, you know, want to put it that way, uh, he, he kept on uh, telling me and begging me, in fact, to, you know, rock, uh, walk, uh, write something, you know, document something, uh, you know, write something about this experience. And in the meanwhile, I just wanted to get away from it all, you know, it was a dark chapter of my life and I wanted to move on. But uh, then, you know, uh, the second thing that uh, made me write it was, Basically, you know, someone told me to, you know, the best way to get away from everything is to actually, in fact, face it. So, you know, facing the ordeal and then writing it all down. And, and then I, that actually, you know, uh, uh, made me overcome it. And, uh, you know, then I could finally move on and get some closure. And how long, so was, was, how long was the recovery process from the accident? It was, uh, I lost it in May, May 20th, uh, 2007. And I regained it actually September 21st uh, that same year. The same year. So I, yeah, I was uh, gone for like four, four or five months and for uh, retrograde amnesia, and uh, it uh, came back four or five months later. And uh, when I came back in September, I actually thought it was May. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't uh, realize the, the gap in between. And did everything come back as it was prior to the accident? Uh, yeah, everything did come back. It came all in one shot, actually. It didn't come in like uh, blurbs or, uh, you know, little... Uh, doses or anything like that it came back all in one shot but when it did come back i i thought it was uh i thought i was living in the past i thought i was living in may and then it all came back that same night like you know in one two hour time and then i was like oh it's september and uh you know my clothes were different uh where i was was different you know uh, i was thinking about the night that i was like why am i you know in a different area i should be with my car and you know i had an accident and didn't uh, recall anything until it all came back. Was there anything specifically that triggered the return of your memory? I think it was uh, a lot to do with uh, uh, my occupation. I was in a dance studio, you know, with uh, a couple of instructors because uh, that was my profession at the time and a hobby that I love to do. And, uh, you know, when we were locking up, I uh, apparently I passed out on the ground and, uh, you know, uh, and when I woke up, I... I I thought it was, uh, oh, uh, what am I doing here? I thought I was uh, with my car. I was looking back in May. So I think it's a lot to do with uh, dance and uh, also uh, uh, a lot on faith. That's where I think Krishna comes in. Very interesting. And who do you think this book would appeal to and why? Uh, I think it would appeal to uh, 
from the ages of, I'd have to say, like uh, anybody from like 16, 17 to uh, uh, 65. Uh, I think it'll appeal to South Asian audiences, uh, the large and uh, mostly so uh, in the Indian community, a lot of uh, Krishna followers, and a lot of people who uh, had experienced uh, retrograde or any type of amnesia in their life, as well as uh, uh, people who are high believers in faith and uh, and sometimes wondering um, there's no purpose in life, but uh, sometimes certain things in life that, uh, you know, come across you or you question why this happened to me can, uh, you know, really delve into the fact that uh, certain things do happen for a fact and reason, and um, it gives one purpose in life. So uh, to answer your question, uh, uh, basically the Indian community, Krishna followers, people who believe in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hinduism and uh, also Buddhism, and uh, also uh, people like uh, mostly college students as well, because a lot of them, when I was during the, the uh, uh, retrograde immediate time, I was the... I was uh, passing my sophomore year in college. I was going on to my junior year, and a lot of the uh, you know college students and uh, you know the walks of life of uh, going back to college and reconnecting with everybody of that age group. So mainly from like eighteen to twenty-two, definitely appealed to it. Well, describe the process of writing your book. Um, I wrote it in four days, actually. Wow. <laughs> uh, I. Um, to be honest, I, uh, I wrote it in, um, uh, I made a draft of it, which took like maybe uh, a week, and uh, you know, what I wanted to highlight and what I wanted to write. And then when I actually sat, you know, I was thinking about sitting by a computer and writing it, but I'm like, you know what, I, I need to handwrite it. I need to, I need to uh, handwrite it. And when I handwrote it, it was, it was all in four days, just uh, like a huge rough draft of like, you know, 500 plus pages. And I just wrote it. And I honestly just wrote it for myself. It was nonstop. Um, you know, a lot of grammatical errors, a lot of punctuation errors. Didn't care about anything of that sort, just getting the main message across. And uh, after I wrote it, uh, I felt like, okay, you know what? I did the hard part. Now it's trying to go back and editing the whole thing from beginning to end. And you had to do that yourself. I've, I've seen your handwriting. I think you didn't share that much with any anyone else, did you? No, no. <laughs> I have uh, really... <laughs> horrible handwriting, I know that. That's why um, uh, I had to really, uh, you know, focus on my own handwriting. And when I was reading it, I was like, oh, my God. It just made me, uh, you know, because I think we get so used to typing, and, you know, everybody's in this technological age where uh, we're so used to typing and texting and communicating through all these other means. People forget to use the hand of touch and uh, what it's like to really write a book instead of typing it out. So that's, that's why I, I chose to write it all out and then, Obviously, when I was making the final draft, I had to, you know, obviously type it and everything like that. So I encompass both realms. Well, I, I wouldn't accuse you of having poor handwriting. Mine follows the same pattern. It just is that we <laughs> are creative and we write in a hurry. That's just how I would describe it. How would you introduce this book to someone who is not uh, familiar with, with your writing or with what you're doing? Well, I mean, um, a lot of people ask me, um, is this going to be my last book? And I told them, uh, yes, I, I don't know. Uh, I said because uh, you know it's it's an incident that happened in my life that uh, made me write the book, like this accident and uh, experience of memory loss, and uh, you know a lot of people just thought, well, is there going to be a sequel? I'm like, I told them I hope not, because I don't expect to uh, get memory loss again or get into an accident like that ordeal again. So uh, you know, to answer your question, like um, I, you know, 
uh, I don't know, like, uh, it's, it's difficult to say, because uh, Walking with Krishna would, would be my first book, but, I, you know, it's based on, like I said, the, the accident, and I, and I don't think that, uh, whatever I had to write, I think I just had to write once and for all, like my neurologist said, and then I didn't have to look back on it, and that's, that's basically what I accomplished, I think, in my eyes. So basically, this is a, a, a recap, a bio, a short bio of your life to this point. Yeah, basically, all of that time, a period, and then like a year after, and uh, th- that that was it. You know, there's there's nothing, um, you know, there's no um, cliffhanger at the end of the book or anything like that. It's just a just a one shot, simple story, and and uh, one and done deal. No trilogy, no sexology, no sequel, no nothing like that. And um, it's just like, you know, some things in life I think people have to write out or people have to make a movie about or people have to get it off their chest and put it out there. And until they do that and face and overcome their fears, then they're, you know, in their eyes, they're okay moving on. I think I I had to do that. I was one of those people who had to write it out and get it out there. And then, you know, just like have everybody know what, what actually did happen that day and uh, during those four months and what it was like, and then that was it. Is is there a theme or underlying idea or concept you want readers to take away from reading your work? Um, it's uh, it's kind of like uh, one of my friends who read it actually put it in a way that uh, it, it made me think about it like several times, and I was like, wow, he actually nailed it. Um, he told me it's like uh, reading a modern-day version of the Bhagavad Gita which is one of the holy scriptures in Hinduism, deals a lot with uh, uh, Krishna again, who is Lord Krishna, one of the Hindu gods, along with his disciple and his, uh, his student, Arjun. And and he said this book was like the same way, uh, where you still have Krishna, but now instead of Arjun, who was the famous uh, you know, um, archer and uh, war winner of the Mahabharata, Instead of him, now you're DePaul, and you're the modern-day version. Instead of, you know, throwing out arrows or anything like that, you um, pen is mightier than the sword. And in this modern age, you know, Krishna was there by faith, and you were his student, and you had that enough time. And then uh, this uh, brought you back to society to show you uh, the true path. And um, um, then what do you... You know, every, every day, everybody makes decisions at the end of the day, and it's your choice what to do with it. So, you know, everybody has their own choice, and that's what it was. The path is shown, it's whether you take it or not. And uh, the Bhagavad Gita also describes about uh, the path, um, the righteous path of a... It's just like for Hinduism, they're a Bible. And, you know, like the Holy Bible for Christians or the Quran for Muslims, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, Gita is the uh, same, uh, you know, essence. Uh, and the Holy uh, Book for Hindus all over uh, India and, uh, you know, the world. So it was kind of like a modern-day thing, but, uh, you know, not, not really like a holy scripture type of thing, but like an incident that gave certain principles throughout the book and, and themes and underlying uh, ideas that related to certain things that people go through and that they can relate to, especially, you know, like a college kid who's going through a lot and then has an accident on top of that. And then, um, you know, what happens? And then uh, how do you overcome that? Yes, and what was the most challenging part of putting this work together? Um, I guess in a technical way, you know, it was uh, there's a lot of it was like you know it was all real. It was uh, I couldn't use any of the 
people's names, like their full names or anything like that, because of liability issues and stuff like this. But then I just gave them different names, or I gave them, uh, um, I just used their first name. You know, I, I got approval from the majority of people. Like, I'd want to say like 75 to 80% of the people. Like, my doctor, neurologist, for example, uh, the, the couple of doctors who were at the uh, first, uh, you know, hospital who took care of me, you know, and, you know, family and friends, obviously, they would, you know, uh, they wouldn't object to it because whatever I'm writing about is the truth. It's like, hey, I was at the hospital, I saw this person, this person, and this person. They're not going to say, hey, he used my name, I can sue him. It wasn't like that because, hey, in factuality, it was true. Like, you know, they can't go against it. So that was the hardest part in um, writing and getting approvals from a lot of different places, like the university, the uh, the colleges, the places, the, the people, um, the institutions, and especially the doctors. Well, thank you, DePaul, for sharing background into the writing of your book. The title, again, is Walking with Krishna, based on true life events, and our author is DePaul Parikh. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Where can we get copies of your book? Um, it's being sold on uh, Amazon.com and also BarnesandNobles.com, and then and so it did uh, Barnes & Noble's uh, retail stores in uh, New Jersey and New York and Pennsylvania. That's the tri-state area that I'm from. Um, you can also, you know, Google it or request it online. You, know, you can also, uh, they're available on so many uh, different versions, like on the, you know, the e-book and the, the Nook and all that stuff. So um, it's easy to get a copy if you have uh, internet. And yeah, just Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Fabulous. Well, thank you for joining us again today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. It's been pleasure. a pleasure. Pleasure. And for Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker.